The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with unfettered feelings of nostalgia. Proceed at your own risk. folks ring the bell and cast the spell it's time for event or else the comic book show where i go through most every major marvel and dc event one issue at a time one episode at a time because well to be honest with you my dog told me to do it i'm your host my name is steven and yes it's been a while but fear not the wait is over no more pacing no more sitting and staring at the wall because i finally got off my butt and put this here thing together for you. This week, we're looking at issue number five of Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it's entitled Worlds in Limbo. This issue was published by DC Comics in August of 1985, and it was written by Marv Wolfman, with pencils by George Perez, inks by Dick Giordano, letters by John Costanza, and the colors were by Tony Tallin. As our story opens... Our mysterious and shadowy enemy is in his mysterious and shadowy lair, lamenting the fact that while he successfully destroyed Earths 1 and 2 and his minion killed the crap out of the monitor, the enemy got nothing out of it. He should be getting all the powers and whatnot from all that positive stuff dying, but ain't nothing getting funneled his way, and he's a bit concerned. Meanwhile, back on the late monitor's satellite, Harbinger is no longer possessed by the enemy, and as she gains back control of her mind, she realizes what she's done. She has killed the Monitor. As Harbinger tries to come to grips with this information, a video begins to play. It seems, before he died, the Monitor recorded a little something-something, and he wanted both Harbinger and Pariah to see it. In the pre-recorded video, he explains that first... He knew that Harbinger was going to kill him, and frankly, he's cool with it, and she shouldn't be fretting on about it, because it had to be done. Furthermore, in order to save the remaining universes, the Monitor made himself into a big old battery and has stored all the energy needed to save the day until such time as his towering machines were completed. But then, before the machines were finished, the Monitor was of course, brutally murdered by the one person he'd placed all his trust in, Harbinger. But really, she shouldn't fret. Anyway, as he died, all that energy he'd had stored up inside him was released. And this release not only energized his machines, it created a netherverse, which has temporarily absorbed the two surviving universes. Earths 1 and 2, along with all the other planets in their universes, now live within this netherverse and are, for the moment, safe. But due to a miscalculation or poor planning or whatever, all time across both of the universes have become one. So while the two worlds are safe, danger moves ever forward as the vibrations that separate the two universes are slowing down which is causing the universes to merge, which ain't good, because once they occupy the same space at the same time, well, blammo! Alex Luther, now looking to be in his late teens, arrives in his golden bodysuit. He announces to the two that he is made from both positive 
and negative energy, and that the monitor left him with instructions on how to help the two worlds before they get all blowed up. But first, they must perform a quick funeral for the monitor. With that, we check in with the enemy and Psycho Pirate. The Red Tornado and the Flash are their prisoners, and the Psycho Pirate is doing his thing by making the Flash all kinds of scared and stuff. Then it's off to one of the Earths where dinosaurs are hanging out with biplanes and futuristic hovercraft and cowboys and cavemen and, well, it's all kinds of crazy. And yet, nobody's really freaking out. I mean, they're freaked, but they're handling it quite calm, to be honest. Back on the Monitor satellite, Harbinger, Pariah, and Alex Luther have gathered up all the heroes and villains from across both worlds and all timelines to fill them in on what's happening and to ask them for their help. And guess who's there? Wonder Woman! Finally! Issue 5, Wonder Woman. It's about time. So basically, in order to save everyone in the multiverse, what remains of it must be merged completely and both worlds made one. But, like safely and such. No one wants to commit to anything right then and there, so Alex returns them to their worlds to see the danger for themselves before they make their decision. Meanwhile, members of the Green Lantern Corps arrive on Oa, home of the Guardians and the Great Lantern battery thing that powers all of their rings, which have apparently stopped working. Rather than finding help, however, they find the Guardians trapped inside some sort of stasis ray. But before they can suss out what's going on, they explode. On Earth-1, the heroes do what they can out there among all the craziness. Rip Hunter and his team are caught in the time stream. Cavemen inhabit Wayne Manor. Starfire and Sunboy find themselves in Russia, helping Red Star fight a dinosaur. And crazier still, Psycho Pirate's spell fades from Killer Frost, and she is back to hating Firestorm. Cut back to the enemy's secret lair, and we find the shadowy figure messing around with Red Tornado, converting him into something the enemy can use for his nefarious purposes. Before we can learn just what that is, however, we are off to Earth 2 to witness even more of the crazy, such as phantom images of Earth 1 creeping into existence as the two Earths continue to merge. For example, an old couple sees the ghost image of their long-deceased daughter walking around, and the Legion headquarters pops up. Then, a storm erupts on Earth 1, unleashing rain and snow and wind and thunder and... a red tornado? Many of the mystical and magic-wielding heroes band together to stop the storm, and as it ceases, we find the red tornado down for the count, sprawled amongst the rubble. This is when the heroes all across the two worlds decide that they must do more and call out to Harbinger, agreeing to help. However, Alex and Harbinger bring only Steel, Starfire, Dr. Light, Earth 2 Hawkman, and Northwind to go on a special mission. But before he can send them off, our enemy attacks the satellite from his secret lair. Psycho Pirate is amazed that his master can do damage to the Monitor satellite from afar without using any weapons, and the enemy brags about his power. The Flash, however, who is still their captive, isn't impressed by the enemy's bravado and asks why the enemy hides himself if he's so powerful. What are you afraid of? He asks. Show yourself. 
And so the enemy does just that, stepping into the light and revealing that he looks somewhat similar to the monitor, except this one is more of a hideous nightmare version. Yet, despite not being the one who was killed at the end of the last issue, the enemy, as the issue ends, tells the Flash that he can call him the monitor. But wait, the issue isn't done. We get a final page showing Earth X, an Earth where World War II has continued for more than 40 years, an Earth on which dwells the hero team known as the Freedom Fighters, made up of Uncle Sam, Black Condor, the Human Bomb, Phantom Lady, the Ray, and Doll Man. The heroes find themselves helpless against the oncoming wave of antimatter, but they decide to go down fighting. And as the issue actually ends, for real this time, the Freedom Fighters run and fly into the antimatter wave. And with that, it's time for the top three things to dwell on. The top three things to dwell on are three moments or aspects of the book that I feel need to be given just a bit more thought. Epic or dumb, I'm talking about them all the same. Thing to dwell on number three, who are all these people? I said in one of the first episodes that you don't really need to have a lot of knowledge of the DC Universe to enjoy this series, and I stand by that. However, if you were steeped in DC lore, you would probably have a lot more fun with this issue than I did. Not that I didn't have fun with it, that's not what I'm saying. It's just that there are so many heroes and villains all over this book that I just don't know. And that's okay. They're mainly background or supporting characters and don't really do much. But I have to imagine that knowing who they all are would have added a layer of fun to the fun I was already having. In fact, I had no idea who two of the characters that Alexander Luther brings to the satellite near the end of the issue were. And frankly, I had to go on Twitter to ask just so that I could include their names for this episode. So big thanks to Random Shane and Peter Rios for identifying Steel and Northwind for me. Without you, I would have looked like a bigger fool than I normally do. Thing to dwell on number two, is Firestorm actually sad? Back in the first issue, as Harbinger is gathering the heroes and villains for the Monitor, they need both Firestorm and the villain Killer Frost. Harbinger already has Psycho Pirate with her, and she has him use his emotion powers to make Killer Frost fall in love with Firestorm so that she, Killer Frost, will cooperate and come with them. By this issue, however, the spell has worn off, and Firestorm, I don't know, he almost seems a little sad about it. In fact, at one point he calls her honey, and when she responds with anger and hate in her voice, he just looks sad. Sorry, Firestorm. You can't manufacture love. Thing to dwell on number one, Superman punches a saber-toothed tiger. All right, so this was a quick moment in the book, but also my absolute favorite. Not that I condone cruelty to animals. It just struck me as funny. See, Lois Lane is trying to do an on-the-spot mobile news report about all the crazy out-of-time stuff that's popping up on Earth-1 when suddenly she's attacked by a saber-toothed tiger. It leaps into the air, ready to pounce on her and tear her limb from limb, when suddenly Superman's fist is there, connecting with the underside of the big cat's jaw. It shouldn't be funny, and yet 
It just is. And those were the top three things to dwell on. So now we come to the part of the show where I wrap it all up and tell you how I feel about the book in general. All right, so I can't stop talking about this, but come on, there is so much going on in this book. I mean, we've already had most of the multiverse wiped from existence. Earths 1 and 2 stand on the brink of destruction. The one dude that had a plan to stop all of this was murdered by his most trusted friend, and the enemy has been revealed to be an evil version of the dude that was murdered. And we still have seven issues to go. This particular issue was all about chaos, as our two Earths are squeezed together and everything from all timelines are existing at once, which I got to tell you, seems like there wouldn't be much room to breathe, much less move around with all those people and all those things about. But you got heroes and villains all over the place in this issue, mixing with cowboys and cavemen and soldiers from World War II and armored knights and dinosaurs and robots and just all kinds of craziness mashed together on a lot of these pages. George Perez, again, is a master at work here as he puts all of these various elements together without missing a beat. His dinosaur does look a bit old school, but of course, they all looked like that back then. But I want to draw your attention to the double-page spread of all of our heroes and villains crowded together on the monitor's satellite. Now, I'm no artist, but could you imagine having to draw something like that? along with all of the other pages in this issue? How many hours a day do you think he put in on these pages? 10? 15? I mean, I don't think the man slept at all for like 12 months. Now, I do spend a lot of time on these episodes singing the praises of George Perez, but I can't forget Marv Wolfman, the architect of this madness. This is the guy who felt that DC continuity at the time was too convoluted, and not at all friendly to the new reader. And so he came up with the plan to just blow it all up, and in essence, start it all over. Now, according to the foreword that Marv Wolfman wrote in the introduction to the collection that I own, he pitched his plan, and DC took just four days to approve it. Four days! And that gave us Crisis on Infinite Earths, which so far has been a wonderful story. The team of Wolfman and Perez have really created something that pleases both the eyes and the soul here. It's an epic that spans multiple universes across all times and features a cast of hundreds. Issue number five here comes right smack in what author Jim Butcher refers to as the great swampy middle. That is the part of the story that falls between the incredible beginning that hooks the reader and the exciting conclusion. Most writers know how their story begins and how it ends. It's that great swampy middle that they have problems with. How do you get these characters from that hooky beginning to the exciting ending? And that's where we're at with issue number five. And frankly, I think they knocked it out of the park. The end of all existence is near. And to cap it all off, we are finally given a look at the being who has been orchestrating the whole thing. And yikes. He looks a bit scary. I will say, however, I did find myself a bit confused at one point. Throughout most of this issue, I feel like as a reader, I was led to believe that the Earth-1 and Earth-2 universes were the only ones left. 
But then at one point, they mention three universes that need saving. Then, on the very same page, that number is changed to five. So yeah, that's got me all kinds of confused. Is the third universe Earth-X, which we saw there at the end of the issue being eaten by the antimatter wave? I don't know. I'm trying not to think about it too hard, because if I do, I may decide that this issue wasn't as good as I thought it was. And I'd hate to think that when my confusion is probably all on my side. But yeah, that was issue number five. So where do they go from here? Good question. And it's one I can't answer. Not right now, not at this point. Instead, join me next time for issue number six, which is entitled Three Earths, Three Deaths. Yeah, I'm still not sure how many Earths are really left. Event or Else is a presentation of the Just Another Fanboy podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to eventorelse at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast. A weekly show where I talk about all the nerdy type things I don't have time to talk about in all my other podcast episodes. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share the podcast with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. There's your snort. <laughs> uh, that may go at the end of the sentence. It better.